So take out your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to talk about feminism and toxic masculinity. These are uh, terms that are just bandied about like crazy today. You guys have all heard these terms. Of course, feminism, I don't think anybody's not heard that term. But how about toxic masculinity? Have you heard about this thing, toxic masculinity? Nobody? Wow. Okay, so I watch different news than you do. Uh, (laughs) This is a catchphrase. Um, I think of like this third wave. Many people don't even know this. The third wave of feminism, this catchphrase in our culture, toxic masculinity, this thing that men are toxic. Just the, 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 the egotism, the, the, uh, the macho-ness of males, the domination historically, the patriarchal society that has kept people down for centuries. We need to rebel against this. And that's kind of like the... The mantra of the age, we're living in a funny age in many respects. Um, People are marching, man. People are marching all the time. Have you watched these marches? There's a march like every other weekend. (laughs) It's like getting a little bit nuts. Everybody who already agrees with themselves going to a city and shouting into the air about how terrible they have it. And then they go back home in their nice homes. And so we have got a culture that loves to scream at each other. Amen? I mean, they, we just screaming at it. I don't like you. You don't like me. We're, we're not as happy as can be. Uh, it's kind of a crazy culture. And so some people, maybe you've been asking this question, why is he talking about these topics? These are even uncomfortable for us in church. And I just like to say, like, it's, it's like the mountain climber with the mountain. The mountain climb with the mountain. We climb the mountain because it's there. And so we talk about these issues because they're there. And God's word has something to say about humanity. It has something to say about how to be human. And it has something to say about the extremes that we tend to fall into when it comes to being human. So today, we're going to speak truth to the topic of feminism. Are you ready? Can I get a good amen at both of our campuses from the ladies? Amen. Ooh, thank you. I feel empowered to preach. Amen, somebody. All right. So today, it's like kind of in vogue to say I'm a feminist. Uh, It's kind of almost a badge of honor. And I think that a lot of times, like, we ratchet up the uh, conversation around this based on who's in the Oval Office. And so you have, like, the last two presidents, the current one and the one before him, these are polar opposites of each other. I mean, these guys can't get any more different. And so you have on one end, you have the guy in office now who has on record berated women. He has on record spoken about his berating of women. And we don't have to go over that. You've heard all the news reports about that. And so we have this guy in office. And a lot of times the reaction to him is because people oftentimes make a big mistake with this country, and and here's the mistake we make. We associate the entire country with who's in one office in Washington, D.C. We have got to stop doing that. America is not whoever's in office at the time. America is made up of many different kinds of people. Not everybody who's this is that. Not everybody who you see who represents one bad apple out of a whole group represents the whole group. Can I get a good amen? 
like we do this with Christians. Hollywood has been doing this with Christians for as long as I can remember. The Christian in the movie is always mean, fundamentalist, Bible-thumping, holier-than-thou, and usually a big, fat hypocrite, right? And so we need, to, we need to realize that they don't just do this with Christians. We don't just do this with, with, with Muslims or with women or with men or with presidents or blacks or whites. We do this with almost everybody. We find somebody and we just make them the, the poster boy for everybody in that group. And ladies and gentlemen, we have got to stop that. And the only way we stop that is we start talking to each other and people who are differently than us. And as Christians, we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, no matter who they are. Okay. Got that out. <laughs> so you got this guy in office now, and then last, the last president who this past week actually went to South Africa and gave a speech, and here's what he said. He said, men have been getting on my nerves lately. Everywhere, every day I read the paper and I just think like, brothers, what's wrong with you guys? What's wrong with us? I mean, we're violent, we're bullying. You know, we just can't handle our business. So I think empowering more women on the continent, he's talking about Africa, that right away is going to lead to some better policies. And it's like, can you hear the underlying message? That men are a problem. And the answer to the problem is more women taking the place of men. Can I tell you how stupid that is? And I'm not saying that all men should do everything and women should do nothing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, and I think the scriptures speak to this, is that the answer to bad men is not eliminating men, but making better men. <laughs> and the only one who can make a better man is the one who invented the idea of men, Jesus Christ, the true man. And so we've got to, in many respects, speak to something about the male-female battle of the ages. And as the church, we have got to learn how to celebrate maleness and femaleness to the glory of God. Because we're both made in his image. It's on the first page of the Bible. In the beginning, God made them male and female in his creation, and after his likeness, male and female created he them. When you look at a man, you are seeing the image of God. And men, when you look at a woman, you are seeing the image of God. And they are equally valuable before the eyes of their creator, and they are to be respected and valued as precious creations of a good and perfect God. So we got to talk about this positively. Oftentimes... The church is, may, is known, the Christian church, and I, I speak in large swaths here about the Christian church, but many times the church is known more for what it's against than for what it's for. Well, I want to talk about how we can be for masculinity, how we can be for femininity. But before we get there, I do have to talk about what we're against. <laughs> okay, so myth number one about male and female. Myth number one, male and female are the same. Do you know that you can go to an institution of higher learning today, pay $140,000, go into serious debt to learn the lie that men and women are the same? $140,000 to learn how to be stupid. And I tell you this all the time, don't be going and sending your little precious children off to colleges where they're going to be indoctrinated by people who do not worship and honor Jesus. 
You have to teach them. If you want to send them to a certain school, you better prepare them. You better teach them what you know to be true from the scriptures. You better get them into our youth ministries so that Josh Vining, he can do our great job with our youth ministry. You better get them into Junior Elevate here in Wasaket and get them saturated in the kingdom of God, in the purpose of God, in the word of God, so that when they get into the world, they know how to sniff out the lie because they are fully baptized into the truth. Men and women are not the same. We are not the same. And we are not the same to the glory of God. Number two myth, male and female can do the exact same things. Wrong. Anybody who has a brain knows this. Anybody who raises children knows this. Women and men from birth are programmed to do certain things. Certain things they can do well, certain things they can do poorly. And they complement each other and they should be valued for their differences, and then they should be raised biblically along the lines of those, of those differences so that God can use the gifts that he has poured into those children for his purposes. Amen. We can't do, I cannot do with my kids what my wife can do. It, if, I, if she would ever pass away, praise be to God, it will never happen, amen. By God's grace, it will never happen before me. I hope I go first, many, many decades from now. But if she ever passed away, my kids would suffer. I don't know how to nurture. I don't know how to love them, like, with kindness. I mean, I, I'm sorry. Like, this might offend some women, but I'm, I'm tough. I'm stern. I, uh, I overreact. This is part of my fail, failed uh, sinful nature. And, but my wife, she can come in. She can console she can, she can comfort, and, and we balance each other out, and we balance each other out to the glory of God, and I'm telling you, my children, they need her, they need me. Amen. We can't do the same thing. We've got to stop thinking that all men can do what women do, and all men can do what, all women can do what men do. It's just not true, and, and we suffer with our resident gifts inside of us, and, and, and we don't prosper when we believe these myths. Number three, the genders don't need each other. This is kind of piggybacking off myth number two. We do need each other. The very first thing that God says about man, the very, very first thing after he gets done shaping Adam is he says, not good. It is not good that men should be what? Alone. A man needs a woman. Poor Adam was running around in the garden holding scissors with the cutters outward, <laughs> hanging from the tree like a monkey, scratching himself openly everywhere. God's like, oy vey, because God's Jewish. <laughs> he needs a woman. And so the very first thing that God creates is a woman for the man. We need each other. I remember in the 1990s, and some of you remember this, there was a show called Murphy Brown. And the star of that show decided that they wanted to take the script in a certain way where she would have a child without a father. Dan Quayle was vice president at the time. How many remember this? And he criticized vocally this idea that a woman should raise a child alone intentionally. You know, it happens many respects because the man leaves or the man doesn't show up. And that's, that's a tragedy.
But this was deliberate, intentional choice of raising a child without a father. And he was blasted. I mean, they ripped into Dan. How dare you say that? La, 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 la. I mean, they just killed the guy. I kid you not, two months ago, I read an article in the Atlantic Monthly. This is not a Christian publication, if you know the Atlantic at all. Right in the heart of New York City, very progressive publication, not Christian at all. And there, here was the title of the article in the Atlantic. Dan Quayle was right. Dan Quayle was right. Here's the first, first sentence. The social science evidence is in. Though it may benefit the adults involved, the disillusion of intact two-parent families is harmful to large numbers of children. I'm telling you this because we have got to wake up to the fact that though people might hate what God says, every single time, God is right. Amen. And it's just a matter of time before culture catch us, catches up to the fact that God is right. This is why Waters Church, Winsocket, Waters Church, North Harbor, I will always preach to you what's in this book. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree or not, I'm really not concerned with whether you agree with God or not because it'll be just a matter of time before you realize that God was right and every man is a liar. It is his word. He is the truth. He's not just true. He's the truth. Amen, somebody. Anyway, I'm fired up today. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm fired up. Okay, let's stand together. We're going to read from Romans chapter 12 and Stand in Woonsocket, stand in North Attleboro. Here this morning, we're going to actually read this text together. So it's going to be on the screen. Usually I read, and some of you read from your Bibles, and others of you stare at me blankly. <laughs> so we're all reading together. Are you ready? Let's read. One, two, three. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. This is God's word. Let's all pray together. Father in heaven, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, including mine, Lord, will be pleasing in your sight. I pray for a teachable spirit across the audience, whether here or elsewhere through the digital technology that we utilize. I pray that we will have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit would say to the church. And I pray that we may see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Have a seat. God bless you. I want to celebrate today the distinctiveness of masculinity, of femininity. These things are not to be derailed either way. They are the idea of God. And God has some pretty awesome ideas. Anybody been up to the Green Mountains? Beautiful, right? 
Been down to the Appalachians? Gorgeous. Been over to the West Coast? You ever been to Laguna Beach? Woo! God called me to Laguna Beach. Hallelujah. Now, beautiful. God has some amazing ideas. And male and female are two of his best ideas ever. Because they're on the earth to reflect to creation this is who God is like. This is what he's like. And when we deride each other and when we get hostile toward one another, we are actually getting hostile to the image of God in each other. We've got to respect each other. So today, let's talk about what we're for. Let's talk about what the church is for when it comes to male and female. Point number one, and I'm going to warn you, point number one is long because it's got like seven subpoints. But let me just say it and then we'll get to it. Number one, male and female are distinct by divine design. They're distinct. They're not the same. And this is on purpose. They are, they are reflective of different sides of the same God. And when you have just men, you are missing a, a portion of what God is like. And when you have just women, you're missing a portion of what God is like. This is why I believe every child needs a father and a mother. A father and a mother. Just in my own parental experience, I've seen the damage that I can do if I'm alone with the children. And, and likewise with mothers alone with their children. We, and if you have a child and you're alone and you're a mother and you're like, and this message right now has already bummed you out. Um, let me just tell you, this is why God gives you a church and a family in the people of God. You've got to do extra work to find good, godly male role models for your children. You don't have to marry them necessarily, but you've got to find them in the community of faith. Okay, so this is because God designed us differently and on purpose. So letter A, we are created differently. I don't know if you guys have, have realized this, and I didn't even realize this until this week, that when God made man, he made him one way. When God made woman, he made her different. The, the process by which he brought man forth, look at it. On your notes there, verse 7 of Genesis 2, then the Lord God, what's the word, everybody? Formed the man of dust from where? From the ground. Man is made from the ground. The word form here, yatsar, in Hebrew, it means created form, fashion, to fashion something or to make something. But I want you to notice that he's made from the ground. He's made from the dust. And the word formed is actually literally squeezed. That God actually took the dust and just squeezed it and breathed into it the breath of life. Here's how God made man. Are you ready? <laughs> That's what he did. From the ground. Now, if you read the first two chapters of Genesis, you realize something. That God also made the animals from the ground. So when scientists say, yo, but... 90-something percent of our DNA matches the animals. No kidding. We know that because the Bible tells us we come from the same material as the animals. The difference is we have the breath of life, the Holy Spirit of God in us, and the image of God in us. That's the distinction. That's how God brings us to life, from the ground. And so ma males are made from the same stuff that animals are made out of. Ladies, this is why your husband acts like a beast. This is why he's perfectly happy being naked. This is why he scratches himself in public without regard for who's watching. 
This is why he doesn't put the toilet seat down. He just wants to do his business and move on and go eat something. <laughs> We're made from the same stuff as animals. My husband is such an animal. Amen. You've read your Bible <laughs> or you've just observed rightly. And, and so I, I say that because you have to understand that he's created differently than you, ladies. And that's good. And that's okay. I love what my friend Mark Gunger says. It's like, ladies want their husbands to be like a girlfriend. He can't do it. He's half animal. <laughs> Just bring an animal into your house and you will see so much of your husband. I'm getting off track. When God makes woman, verse 22 of the same chapter says this, and the rib the Lord God had taken from the man he made into woman and brought her to the man. This is an amazing word made because, okay, man comes to the ground, but the woman comes from the rib. The rib is a bone, and the bone is strong. The woman was not made to be weak. She is weaker, and even the scripture says that. Physically, this is a fact. Okay, if you go, if you go to some university, some prestigious university and get a master's degree, they'll tell you that's not true, but I'm just telling you it's a fact. Okay, so... She's made from the rib, and the word made is an interesting word. Words matter in the text, and the Hebrew word here is bana, and it means to build or establish. So when he makes man, he forms. When he makes the woman, he makes, he builds, he establishes. The word is used in the Old Testament to refer to the things that are the most permanent. I think about this, just stay with me for a moment. The word bana is used about cities, it's used about um, altars, temples, and it's used about the heavens. One dictionary that I read actually said that this word made here in Genesis 2.22 is actually refer it is always used to refer to things that God makes that are supposed to endure for a long time. Do you know what that means? That means that women are built to last. I thought I'd get an amen from some women. On average, a woman outlives her husband by eight years. On average, women live longer than men because God built them to last. So uh, the other thing about the created order is, and this is what the Jewish rabbis say, that if you read the creation order, it goes from simple to complex. In the beginning, God like makes, you know, uh, he makes um, light and then he makes uh, land, and he makes the waters, and then it gets more complex, and he makes the fish, and then he makes the beast, and then he makes man, and then he makes woman. Now think about this. The last thing that God made on the simple to complex spectrum <laughs> is woman. Husbands, this is why you will never understand your wife. This is why she will say something and you will hear her say it and you will not learn, you will not realize that you are supposed to hear what she's saying in what she says because she is tremendously complex. God had designed her that way. And this is good to the glory of God. Amen, somebody. Okay, so now let her be. Male and female are gifted distinctively. Distinctly. We have different abilities. We have different um, 
Things that we can do better than the opposite sex. This is not to be derided or eliminated. And I just feel like I have to say this more and more as our culture gets crazier and crazier. Where are you going to hear the truth? (laughs) And so we've got to identify the giftedness that God has programmed into both male and female distinctly. Now, when it comes to men, I'm going to talk about the guys first because I think that we live in a culture that loves to deride men. If you watch the average sitcom, the village idiot in the average sitcom is the father of the home. It's just a fact. I started like with everybody loves Raymond and it's just perpetuated ever since. No, really. I mean, who's the idiot on the sitcom? Just when you're watching television, don't just watch it. Watch it discerningly. And then ask yourself, do I want my children learning these values? Do I want my daughters to grow up and literally disrespect and make a joke out of the man she chooses to marry one day? I don't want that. You've got to teach your children this. And so uh, there's this book out. It's by uh, Dr. Warren Farrell, John Gray. It's called The Boy Crisis. It reveals some interesting statistics. Education for males, all-time low. Worldwide, Boys are 50% less than girls to meet basic proficiency in reading math and science. 50% less. Mental health. ADHD is on the rise. Do you know why? Because we've been telling boys to calm down for 40 years. And sometimes you can't, you, you just shouldn't say calm down. Sometimes you just say, yes, climb it. Yes, jump off. <laughs> My wife and I, when we went to our honeymoon, we went to Aruba. And whenever you go to those Caribbean islands, you know that there's the resort side and then there's the real side. So we went to, we got a Jeep and we took the real side tour around the outside of the island. And I, and I saw this cliff hanging over the water with the waves crashing. And I was like, <gasps> and I just ran to it. My wife's like, what are you doing? I'm climbing it. Why? Because it's there. She literally was like, what the heck is this guy doing? What did I just marry? She married a monkey. (laughs) Anyway, ADHD is on the ride. And as boys become young men, their suicide rates go from equal to girls to six times that of young women. Fathering. Uh, Boys are growing up with less involved fathers and are more likely to drop out of school, drink, do drugs, become delinquent, and end up in prison. And purpose. Boys don't have a sense of purpose. That sense of purpose, that old sense of purpose, being a warrior and a protector and a leader, a sole breadwinner, they're fading. Many bright boys are experiencing what the authors call a purpose void, feeling alienated, withdrawn, and addicted to immediate gratification. That's why we have video game addiction, pornography addiction. Because we have been telling boys, calm down, sit down, shut up, be nice, be more like a girl, and the boy needs an outlet for what God programmed into him. He needs adventure. He needs to be crazy sometimes. He needs a risk, a good risk, a healthy risk, because God has DNA programmed that into boys. That's why God gives the wildness of the garden first to the man. Have at it, son. This is good. This is why Jesus takes the cross. It's an adventure. It's, not, it's a painful adventure, but it's an adventure to save the souls of men and women across the world. This is good for men. So, under your notes there. 
gifted distinctly. Let me first talk about three things men are giftedly, uh, distinctly gifted to do. Number one, men are made to be warrior protectors. We're made to be warrior protectors. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Don't miss the phrase, to work it and to keep it. In chapter one, it's rule and subdue. Do not be under the misinformed idea that before the fall, creation was lovely and perfectly peaceful. No, it was wild and crazy. And man was created to tame it. Man was created to out-crazy nature, to guard it. The word keep there can also be translated, in some translations says guard the guard. A man is made to guard something, to protect something. He wants to guard his children. He wants to guard his wife. He wants to guard, that's why Disney has been making billions on the man rescuing who? The princess. And this story is retold a hundred times over. It's also why the last two Star Wars movies have done terribly. Have stunk. Because the man wants to see a man rescue and save and protect and climb the mountain and throw the flag down and say, I did it. It's made, they're made to do this. And by the way, women... You do want this. You do. I actually read an article on the independent.com, independent, not a Christian magazine, not a Christian publication. And I'd like to only quote to you non-Christian publications when they suddenly see that what God said is true. But here's an interesting article that I found. The title of the article is, Women are attracted to men with benevolent sexism attitudes. Let's put it up. Benevolent sexism attitudes. I did not know that there was such a thing as benevolent sexism, but apparently there is. And they've divided sexism into two groups, benevolent and hostile. Hostile is when you put a woman down, when you take advantage of her, when you berate her, when you demean her, all those kind of things. But benevolent sexism, they defined it like this from a, from a research study asking 200 female students to read the profile of a man that represented attitudes that they liked and rate them in uh, numerous categories. And here's what they said. The ones that scored the highest benevolent sexism attitudes were a man willing to provide for his wife, willing to protect his wife. Provide and protect were at the top of the list. A woman wants a man to protect her. This is from a non-Christian research institute. Okay, and so I was reading the article, and let's put it back up on the screen, guys, if we can. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but down on the bottom left of the article, I saw this. We can zoom in on that article right there. Bearded men more likely to be sexist study finds. <laughs> so we'll just ignore that article and move on. <laughs> number, number two, or the next one under your, uh, on your list there, is men are made to be leaders. that all women should be leaders too. Okay, calm down for a second there. <laughs> Let me explain that I'm talking about what God has made them to be. I'm not saying that a woman can't lead anything. I'm saying these are generalities that are beneficial to the flourishing of humanity. So verse 16 of chapter two, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of the tree of the garden. Verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day you eat, you shall surely die. I want you to notice something. God gives man, the man, the rules about the garden before the woman shows up. 
she's not around yet. Why doesn't God first make the woman and then say, okay, you two, come over here. Don't eat that tree. Because God has programmed the male to lead. And when you take that away from a male, he will find somewhere else that he can feel like he leads. This is why he will go after the adulteress. I'm not excusing it. I'm not excusing any of these bad behaviors, but I'm just trying to tell you that sometimes we take a man who has cheated on his wife and we excoriate him. But we don't know what was going on in the home before that happened. We don't know. Was she, de was she depriving him of sex? Was she depriving him of what he desperately needed? And so he went and formed a playground for himself somewhere else. Ladies, let me just tell you about your homes. Your home is a garden. Let him lead in the garden. Let him lead in the garden so he will never want another garden to go lead in. They're made to do this. They're formed for it. It is programmed in their DNA. This is why all the priests in the temple in the Old Testament were men. Almost all the prophets of the Old Testament, except one, were men. All the civic leaders of the Old Testament, men. All the disciples of Jesus, all the apostles of Jesus, men. And it's very clear in 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, and Titus that men are called to the official office of pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet, and apostle. I know there are lots of ways that we could bend and twist the Bible to try to find a way around this, but in my understanding of the Scripture, the clear passages always override the unclear passages, and it's very clear from Paul's writings that men are called to lead in the house of God. You want a male pastor. Every time there's a male pastor who's got a heart for the gospel, who's got a heart for the lost, the church grows. And all you have to do is look at the mainline churches of yesteryear that are ordaining and officiating, having women officiate everything in the church, and the church dies a slow and inevitable death. It is not being chauvinistic to say that God has created man this way, and it should be celebrated, not demeaned. Oh, you're quiet, but that's okay. I'm going to keep preaching. Amen. Some of, you leader, some of you ladies get scared about male leadership because you have a worldly perception of what leadership is. And the, the great thing is, is that the scriptures give us a Christ-centered form of leadership, doesn't it? When it calls men to lead in the home, it doesn't say, just lead. It doesn't say that. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Selfless, sacrificial leadership is what God has instituted. And I'm telling you, ladies, that is the most attractive thing that you could ever have in your life. A man who loves you enough to lay down his life and do whatever it takes to rescue you and protect you. The reason why our world struggles with male leadership is because they see Satan's form of male leadership. And in the church, we've got to do a better job. And we've got to celebrate men who love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now, ladies, we're all going to get that one wrong. So chill out. <laughs> all right? Because it's true. I mean, like, that's the, that's the appeal. But it's Christ, for heaven's sakes. None of us measure up to that. That's why we need him to save us. 
Next one, men are made to get jobs done. Men are doers, and they love getting the job done. I did a little job around the house yesterday. As soon as I was finished, I took a picture and I sent it to my friends in text. Look what I made. I need, I need the praise to come back. I need somebody to say, wow, good job. This is a man's thing, man. I'm telling you, it's just something men need. So look what it says here in Genesis 2.20. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Okay, listen. That passage right there that I just read to you, that's between when God says it's not good that man be alone and, it, and after it comes the woman. I want you to notice that God gave man, God gave Adam an assignment before he gave him a wife. And to get to that point where he got the wife, he got the stinking job done. Can you imagine this? He, ma- he named all the animals, all the beasts, and all the birds. God's like, I got a woman for you, but I need you to get something done. He's like, okay. And he went out and did it. Hey, come back. It's done. <laughs> Men are made to get the job done. This is good. This is to be, this is to be celebrated and, 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 and rejoiced over. Okay, so men, that's men. So let's talk about women from the first two chapters of the Bible. Okay, um, first, women are made to be resourceful. If men lead women, resource the thing that's led. I'm telling you this, it is so clear in my own life, women can put stuff together, man. I'm telling you. They just, they have the brain, the spaghetti brain, all the wires and all the things are connected to each other and they can think about things from 15 different ways. And so oftentimes my wife will say something that I'm planning to do and she'll say, yeah, but you didn't think about this. And I'll say, ah, and then I rush headlong into it and I screw it up and I'm like, oh, I got to tell her that she was right. (laughs) Women are resourceful. It is not good that a man be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Verse 18. The word helper fit. Please, ladies, understand that this does not mean daddy's little helper. Does that mean Satan, uh, Santa's little helper? It's not that. Actually, the word here is ezer in Hebrew. It's actually one of the most sophisticated terms in the entire Bible. And actually, the word is most often used of God. He is our help. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, Easter, in time of trouble. It says, Psalm 55, 54, verse 4, says this, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. God, do you, ladies, do you understand that when, when you are in a man's life, that you are here on this planet to be what God is to a man in many respects? You can't fulfill the whole thing, but you can do a lot of it. This is, you're made in his image to help the man. And this is good and glorifies God. I remember when I was very young, newly married, we had one child. And I wrote, um, I, I made a website for my family because I was really young and had lots of time on my hands. <laughs> and uh, I wrote this, up, this article up on Cheryl and I put a picture of her. This is, this is my wife and I put underneath it, Proverbs 31, wife, all the way. Proverbs 31, wife, all the way. Well... I got an email from the website from somebody. And the email was a woman. And she lit into me. How dare you refer to your wife as a Proverbs 31 woman? How, this is the problem with our culture. This is so chauvinistic and male-dominated patriarchal. Just barfs all over me in this email. And I realized something. The difference between me and her is I actually read Proverbs 31. 
So I wrote back to her. I said, maybe you need to understand what Proverbs 31 says. And I wrote back to her. I said, here's some of the quotes. Proverbs 31.10, an excellent wife who can find. Proverbs uh, verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts her. Verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And I said in the end of the email, I said, maybe if you had a man who saw you like that, you wouldn't be so mad at me for seeing my wife that way. I didn't get a response. (laughs) Women are tremendously resourceful. And this is to be celebrated. And so a man leads it, and a woman resources it, and these things work in tandem to get the job done, to glorify God, to rule and subdue creation. Second, women are, to, are made to be nurturing. Women are made to be nurturing. Isaiah 40, 49, verse 15. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child that she has born? It's impossible. And God, by the way, says, even if they did, I would never leave you. I would never forget you. Women are nurturers by nature. The top female careers by percentage involvement. Registered nurses, that's nurturing. Number two, meeting planners, that's resourcing. Number three, elementary and middle school teachers, that's nurturing. Number four, tax examiners. Hmm, I don't know about that one. But anyway, number six, social and community service managers. Science has uh, given us a lot of detail about the genetics inside of our bodies, women get an XX chromosome structure, men get an XY, right? Do you know that the double chromosome, the double XX, actually, that actually makes a woman more uh, immune to flu and sicknesses. Do you know why God did that? Because God knows that when the man is sick, (laughs) everything he does is gonna shut down. Because we're big, fat babies. We are. I get sick. I'm like, I can't, I can't. Cheryl, help me. Cheryl gets sick. She's still cleaning the house. She's taking the kids to school. She's doing all these things. Then she takes a break to barf in the toilet, and she goes back to work, and she does all that stuff. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. But that's because God has gifted them with nurturing to be able to still care for children even when they are weak, and this is to be celebrated, and this is to be rejoiced in, and this makes them glorious. Lastly, about women, women are made to be homemakers. <laughs> okay, it's number three on the list. <laughs> Part of the curse to the woman in Genesis 3 is, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Okay. Women give birth despite the pain. W- women actually create a home for the child for nine months before the man ever sees the child. It's very true that women have a connection to that whole process. That's, because, that's why we have something called post-mortem, post, uh, what? Postpartum. I was almost gonna say postpartum, postmortem. <laughs> After you give birth, you die, postmortem, okay. No, 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 you feel like dying, I've heard. 
Here's what God is saying in that process, that women are created to build a home. They are. They're good. They bring the children in. When, when, when you get old, I've heard this anyway, they're the ones reaching out to the children, making sure everybody comes over for Thanksgiving. They're the ones that are always trying to get the children to come around. They're good at this. I'll never forget when I hired a single guy, one of the first single guys I ever hired in this church, <laughs> and he finally got an apartment, and he was so proud of it. And he came into the office and said, I got an apartment. You want to come see? I'm like, sure. And he got an apartment with four other dudes. Yeah, you know where I'm going. He brought me to his apartment. He's so happy. He opens the door. I walk in. First off, the smell <laughs> just hits me. <laughs> I'm staring in. I look around. I, I'm sorry. Sometimes I say things without thinking. This is my gift. And anyway, he says, what do you think? And I said, I'm so glad I have a wife. <laughs> I went home and I kissed my wife. Oh, thank you. Because women make a home. Men can build a house, but women make a home. Look, there are five guys on the planet that know how to decorate. They're all on HDTV. <laughs> the rest of the human population with that gift are women. And this is good. And it glorifies God because you need both together, not one or the other. All right. Number two, I told you point one was long, and I'm telling you right now, point two and three are short. So this is what you have to understand. This is why we've got problems. Sin. The Bible's very clear about this. Sin distorts male and female community. When God pronounces the curse on male and female, what does he say? Genesis chapter 3, 16. I will surely increase your pain and childbearing. Pain you shall bring forth children. Now look at the next half of the verse. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. And I'm so glad the ESV has finally corrected the Hebrew there because for years it was just, your desire shall be for your husband. Bad translation. The literal word in Hebrew is contrary to. This is God pronouncing the curse because they listened to Satan instead of God's voice. Understand where we are in the biblical record here, just so you understand, okay? Sin comes in and distorts her perception of him and notice but he shall rule over you. So sin comes in and perverts his perception of her. And from this moment, the battle of the sexes has been raging. So when you see the rage in our world about male, female, female, male, ah, ah, all you need to remember is this, Genesis 3. There's a problem. We're broken. We're corrupted. And husbands and wives, please listen to this. And I want you actually to listen so clearly it's going to be something you write down. Both male and female have deeply ingrained sinful dispositions that seek to control each other. We don't even see how deep it is. It's deep. And there's a lot of Christian ladies out there that think they're actually doing well for their husband and they've actually made an idol out of the perfect Christian husband and because he never measures up to that perfect idol, she harms him while at the same time thinking she's being a good Christian wife. I'm just telling you. I know it's true. And there are ways, men, that you ignore her needs, you ignore how God created her to your own detriment. 
And these things are deep inside. They're so deep we can't even see all of them. And you need to understand this is why we need Jesus. This is why. I don't know how you stay married without Jesus. Okay? I don't know. Because to me, it just seems impossible. Our problem is sin, and there's only one solution. So number three, Christ redeems male and female for God-ordained, self-giving community. He saves you from yourself. He saves you from that deeply ingrained distortion of the other sex so that you can now... Look at the other sex and not objectify or demean or belittle or take advantage of or think that they're less than you, but you can look at them and say, image of God, glorious creature made to rule and subdue on the earth for his sake. And I just thought, like this Romans chapter 12, we read it, right? Do not be conformed. To the pattern of this world. Christians, listen to me. Do not be conformed about male, female to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are either being conformed or you are being transformed. You can't go in the middle. I want you to be transformed by what God says. And so just reading a little bit, just listen a little bit. Real, real quickly, we're going to go through what does Paul say right after that in Romans 12, 3. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to you, to everyone, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. In other words, male, female, don't think yourself better than them. It's just not biblical. But think of yourself with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has given you. And then he says this, for in one body we have many members and the members do not have all the same function. They can do stuff you can't do and you can do stuff they can't do and this is okay. And the members do not have all the same function so that, so that we, though we are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Then skip down verse nine, it says this, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. And I thought this, I thought this passage right here, this line, I just want you to underline it in your notes, just underline it. Outdo one another in showing honor. What kind of a life would you have if you practiced, if you played this little game called, I'm going to outdo you with honor. I'm going to out-honor you in marriage, in your singleness, in your dating life, in your just friendships. I'm not going to look down on you. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to build you up because I see in you the image of the God who created me. I'm telling you when we get there, good things are going to happen. And the world will look at the church and say, what do you got? And we'll say, Jesus.